0: Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Oh man, life to the full. <clears throat> Who wants to have a full life? Anybody? Yeah. Good. I'm I'm kind of sick of some of the half measures, you know. Half measures aren't very fun these days. It kind of is what everything feels like. is sort of a half measure. Um, compromises everywhere, all those kinds of things. Um, <clears throat> I want to start... Uh, the, the title of today's message is in the series Life to the Full. The title is Get Your Life Back slash Art of the Pause," slash "Pause." There really isn't a title that's organized. It's just one of those things. So whatever they put on Instagram or social later this week, that'll be the title. I'm good with that. Um, I'm just not a detailed person all the time. So it's something like that. But I want, you, I want to start this, this part of the series off Of course, we did start it last week with two great speakers. Uh, Thanks, Doug and Tyler, for sharing your heart, letting the Holy Spirit speak through you. That was awesome and exciting. Uh, But this morning, let's open our Bibles to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. We're going to read verses 17 and 18 together. This is what it says. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it back. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it back. This commandment I received from my Father. I want to start with this verse this morning because there is a principle that we need to be aware of. Now, I'm not trying to twist the words of Jesus. Uh, Let me be clear on this because I can't twist it to mean something they don't because the life he laid down and took up again, the life he's referring to here is for our salvation. So let me be very clear. You and I cannot take our life and lay it down or pick it back up again for salvation. That would be futile. You in and of yourself cannot do salvation. You don't have what it takes to be saved. Uh, It is a free gift of God, and you don't have what it takes to be salvation. Clear? Now, in this, there is a tremendously powerful principle that you need to take out and apply to your life. And it's around these words. I have laid my life down so that I may take it back. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own. Everyone says, I lay it down on my own. I lay it down on my own, and I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it back. This command I received from my Father. So, grasp this truth that's before you. Remember this. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you right? Philippians 4.13. Everybody in this church should know Philippians 4.13 because we sing about it at Bible camp. All right. What else does does the Bible say? That all things are possible with God. With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. And so I want you to hold on to the truth I'm going to talk to you about this morning. You have the authority in Christ to take back your life. Now here's the problem. You didn't even realize you laid it down but you did. And I want to draw some very important distinctions for you right now because there are laying downs of our life, laying downs of our life that are good, that God rejoices in, and there are laying downs in our life that God cannot rejoice in. There are taking ups of your life that God rejoices in. There are certain things you want to take up in life that God cannot rejoice in. So, for instance, if I lay lay down my life for my wife, For my children. That's good. God rejoices in that. The Bible says that greater love has no man than he who lays down his life for his friend. Yes, I know it's talking about Jesus in specific context, but it's also a true saying. It's the greatest demonstration of love to lay our life down for someone else. And that is something that God can rejoice. But here's the problem. Often what you and I are laying our life down for is not our spouse, not our children, not our pastor. Hint hint just in case it ever comes to that, just in case. I sometimes stand behind this broken screen and imagine that I'm like the pope, and all the smears, like nobody has cleaned this thing since the first child touched it a few weeks ago, clearly, and it's broken, and I'm like, it's because I'm being assaulted so often, it's, that's why. So I feel, I feel like a pope or somebody really important, you know, it would mean nothing if my glass was clear, clearly I wouldn't even need the protection. Uh, anyways, um, Here's the thing. You, you and I, we lay our lives down for things that don't honor God, right? And, and when, we lay, when you lay your life down before something that is not God, something that does not honor God, what you're doing is worshiping an idol. Okay, now, now stick with me. Don't get so offended that you run out of the place or turn off the internet at your house. I want you to stick with me because this is important. Um, we need to understand that Jesus came... He, he laid down his life and he took it back up again. He came for you and I so that we could have life and have it abundantly. And so the life we take up is not necessarily our own life. We lay our lives down with the help of the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit, we are crucified with Christ so that we can live. And the life we take up is not our own because we were bought with a the price. Therefore, we need to honor God with our bodies. Or you could say, your life is not your own. Therefore, honor God with the life that he purchased for you. That would be a great way to think about that that in the right context and understand Scripture that way. Um, So for the next few messages over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about just how it is that you do that. How do you take your life? Because the truth is, is most people in the church world today, I've shared this with you before, I'm concerned that a large percent of, of generations church doesn't even possess a biblical worldview at this point. I I see people that I love very much in this church, and I'm not too sure they have a biblical worldview. That bothers me a lot because either a worldview will happen to you or you will choose one. And it's far better that you choose a worldview than just let it happen to you. It's far better that you choose to lay your life down or choose to take your life up than just to let have whatever come and be your life. This is the problem we're facing right now. You're laying your life down in front of things like Facebook, Twitter, Twitter, Instagram, the news, whatever else, you're laying your life down there and you're wondering why you have no peace. You're wondering why you're tired. You're wondering why you're frustrated. We're going to unpack that this morning. But you need to understand that you in Christ have the authority to take back your life, get it back. Take it back. Bring it into submission. Bring it into the fullness of the presence of God again so that you can have abundant life. So for the next few weeks as we talk about this, you're going to realize you already knew a lot of the answers to the questions that are going to come up. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you all along. I would like you to do something. I would like you to buy a book, a specific book. I would like you, you can, you can download that book. You can buy it in paperback. You can go and support the Shepherd's Fold here in town. Go in and support a local business by buying a book through them. They would appreciate it. I know they would. I know they'd love it. And you should tell them, Pastor Trav from Generation Church said I had to come in and support your business. And go and love on them with like 25 bucks. You can buy one for your whole family or buy one for each member of your family. It doesn't matter to me. I get nothing for it other than healthier church people. And therein is something worthwhile for me. Anyways, uh, the book is by John Eldridge, who wrote, um, oh, Wild at Heart, of course. It's escaping me in this moment. This book is called Get Your Life Back. And I would love for you to buy it. In fact, I urge, nay, I command thee <laughs> to get thou this book and read it and go through it and process with it. I lo- guys, there is so much great thought in this book so much prompting. I see Christine over there nodding because we made her read it as, like a, as a guinea pig for church. And she, she liked it. She liked some stuff in it. I know Amy and I liked it. We liked a lot of stuff in it. Um, we'll post a link on social media to remind you. There's also an app we're going to talk about just before we close today. I'd like you to download that app as well and I want to offer you um, just a little teaser, just, just a few minutes of the introduction of this book and I want to see where you land. And Hopefully, John, I didn't mess anything up. Ready,
1: John? Introduction. It works good. The rescue. There's a madness to our moment, and we need to name it for the lunacy it is, because it's taking our lives hostage. First, there's the blistering pace of life. I texted friends an announcement that was really important to me. They replied with little thumbs-up emojis. I think to myself, that's it? You can't even answer a text with a text. Email felt so efficient when it replaced the letter. Texting seemed like rocket fuel when it came along. But it didn't make our lives more spacious. We simply had to keep up. Now we're living at the speed of the swipe and the like, moving so fast through our days that typing a single sentence feels cumbersome. Everyone I talk to says they feel busier than ever. My musician friends aren't playing much anymore. My gardening friends don't have time to plant. I currently have eight books I've started to read, and I haven't made it past the first chapter in any of them. We've been sucked into a pace of life nobody's enjoying. And then there's the deluge of media coming at us in a sort of mesmerizing digital spell. We're spending three hours a day using apps on our phones, ten hours viewing media consuming enough information each week to crash a laptop. We talk about unplugging, but we're enchanted by the endless social media circus of love and hatred, the vapid, alarming, sensational, and unforgivable. We're snagged by every new notification. And while we've always had our individual struggles and heartbreaks to deal with, Now we have the tragedies of the entire world delivered to us hourly on our mobile devices. This is all very hard on the soul. Traumatizing, in fact. Exposure to traumatic events can traumatize us, and we're getting lots of it in our feed. It's like we've been swept into the gravitational field of a digital black hole that's sucking our lives from us. So there's all that, but everybody's talking about that. What got my attention was what was happening to me as a person. I found myself flinching when a friend texted and asked for some time. I didn't want to open email for fear of the demands I'd find there. I had a shorter and shorter fuse in traffic. I felt numb to tragic news reports. It made me wonder, am I becoming a less loving person? I had little capacity for relationships and the things that bring me life. A walk in the woods, dinner with friends, a cold plunge in a mountain lake. When I did steal a moment for something life-giving, I was so distracted, I couldn't enjoy it. And then I realized it wasn't a failure of love or compassion. These were symptoms of a soul pushed too hard, strung out, haggard, fried. My soul just can't do life at the speed of smartphones but I was asking it too. Everybody's asking theirs too. I'm guessing you've experienced something similar. It's likely why you've picked up this book. Your soul is looking for something. Are you aware of what it is? How would you score your soul these days? Are you happy most of the time? How often do you feel lighthearted? Are you excited about your future? Do you feel deeply loved? When was the last time you felt carefree? I know, it's not even fair to ask. Our souls are bleary, seared, smeared, still able to love, yes, still able to hope and dream. But at the end of any given day, most people come home in a state of exhaustion, numb on our good days, fried, more often than we'd like to admit. I feel all thin, sort of stretched, as Bilbo Baggins said like butter that has been scraped over too much bread. The world has gone completely mad, and it's trying to take our souls with it. Now, if we had more of God, that would really help. We could draw upon his love and strength, his wisdom and resilience. After all, God is the fountain of life, Psalm 36:9. And if we had more of his lavish life bubbling up in us, It would be a rescue in this soul-scorching hour. But this frantic, volatile world constantly wilts the soul, dries it out like a raisin, making it almost impossible to receive the life God is pouring forth. That's called a double bind. I tried to find more of God, knowing if I only had a greater measure of His life in me, I'd be able to navigate this rough terrain. I was practicing the usual stuff—prayer, worship, scripture, sacrament—but still I felt, I don't know, shallow somehow, sipping God with teaspoons, not drinking great gulps, wading, not swimming. My soul felt like a shallow rain puddle. But I know the soul isn't a shallow puddle at all. It's deep and vast, capable of symphonies and heroic courage. I wanted to be living from those deep places, but I felt trapped in the shoals. It's no coincidence that one of the most important books on our world and what technology is doing to us is called The Shallows.
0: Your soul is not designed to move at the speed of the internet. You know, God designed the human soul to go about three, three and a half miles an hour. That's how fast a human being walks. You're not built for more speed than that. And when you try for most of your life to run, you experience something called burnout, fatigue, brokenness in many forms. I want you to read the book, listen to the book, however you're comfortable going through it. Because it's something that Amy and I have tried to teach since the beginning of Generations Church. The idea, the concept that we didn't want to burden people with tasks to the point that there was no room for relationship. This is like, this is the DNA of Generations Church. and someone who's a great writer, finally wrote it down. That's why I want you to read the book. Is it the greatest book ever written? No, it's not. But if you let it, and if you let the Holy Spirit speak to you through that author, who has a great relationship with Jesus, you will find that things begin to change in your life. And if you take seriously the conversation we're having today and over the next few days, you are going to begin to find yourselves well-equipped for the world ahead. It's a big deal to us. It's a big deal for your life today. Psalm 46.10. This verse should be far more profound and real to us than it probably is. But it says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. If you have kids, or if you have ever had to manage kids, which pretty much makes for all of us then, for any amount of time, you know how important it is for them to be still. Right? There's something amazing that happens when a human child is all wild and out of control, and then the realization comes that rest needs to happen. We all can see with experience the crash coming, can't we? Think back to when you were raising your kids. Think like I do every single Sunday when I watch your kids do it and laugh to myself with joy that I'm not in that stage anymore. And I look forward to laughing at my children when they have their own children one day. And knowing what I know, I'm sure that your parents and mine enjoy the moments too. But I love the moment when you can see the crash coming. And this time you know that a snack or some other distraction is not going to fix the problem because he has had enough. He's done. Or she. So what do we do? We take that child up into our arms. And we still them. Just the right amount of restraint in a hug or a grip sometimes. To show love and reassurance. And often sometimes it's something only a mommy or a daddy can do. No one else will do when stillness is what's required to bring peace to that child. And I love those moments because if you can understand where I would take this next logically, that's exactly how our relationship is as the children of God with Him. He wants to hold us just enough to restrain us just enough to be reassuring and loving and to put us in a place where we can finally rest. We fight that like our children fight us. If you're willing to be honest with yourself, and I won't ask because I'm afraid you'll just lie to yourself, to me, to the Holy Spirit. But if you'll let him speak to you today, maybe you can come to terms with how we are. That we don't want to be still. We like our adventure. We like our chaos. We're, as he said in the intro to the book, we are we're, we're, we're enthralled. We're enticed by this. We are in. We're interested. Even though it's slowly Drying up our soul. You know, I love that as my children grew, we did that for years four kids, five years. We did a lot of reassuring, restraining. Annika was the worst, or the best, whichever way you want to look at it colicky, loud, capable of so much volume. Amy didn't sleep for months. And so we held that child a lot so she could grow and she could become who God wanted her to be. We did all those things. And now I'm enjoying adolescence. Oh, adolescence. It's the time when all that growing catches up to your children. And once again, teenagers begin to sleep like babies. And it's weird. Heck, sleep like babies. Teenagers can sleep like the dead. (laughs) And I remember checking on my infant children to make sure they were still alive because how can they sleep that long? And now recently, I go downstairs and check on my teenage sons and my pre-tween daughters wondering how on earth can they be sleeping? We must have had a carbon monoxide leak in the house. Something bad has happened. You see, the process of physical change over short periods of time are draining. Your your 13-year-old sleeps because he or she is drained from the last 13 years of life. And their body changing and rapidly. And your 5-year-old sleeps because in his little life, 0 to 5 years old, he has learned more In those first five years, then he will cumulatively learn for the rest of his life. That's why he needs to be still. That's why your teenager needs to be still. That's why your baby needs to be still because there is rest and regeneration and renewal that begins to happen when we are still. Here's the fact wherever you are today in your journey in this life, you need to be still. We need to rest. We need the reset and we need the reminder. But what most of us are doing is stopping and starting. Never being still. We go online and we take care of our work. And then we stop doing that, but we jump onto the banking app to pay the bills until that's done. And then we stop doing that, and then we go on Kijiji because... We're dreaming that we had money to spend, even though we just spent it all in the bank account to pay the bills. So then if you're me, you move over to the auction sale site. Because maybe there'll be a deal too good to pass up. And we do all of these things. We stop and we start, but we never are still. We never are in those moments where there is just a total stoppage and there is rest. Now some of us are getting better at it because the Lord has been dealing with us severely on this issue. Some of us have no idea, and we just wonder why we are so tired all the time. And instead of communing with our Creator and being still in those moments, we are offering ourselves the distractions of Facebook and Instagram, like we offer a child a bag of Ritz crackers or goldfish when they're about to lose it at church. We offer Netflix and Prime, stock updates. You get the idea. Come to me after church and tell me, no, Pastor Trav, I don't do that, and I will kindly call you confused or a liar. And that's a joke, except it's not a joke. Like children, we really don't know when to be still until we crash. And in many cases today, burn. Oh, you might not burn out like I have. Maybe you're smarter than me. Maybe you're dumber and just haven't figured it out yet. But I've crashed and burned. And burnout is not something you want to go through yourself, and you certainly don't want anyone you love to ever go through. The reality is this. You might not burn out this time, but you will burn something down around you. You might stay away from a total collapse in your own person, but you will destroy your marriage, you will destroy a business, you will ruin a relationship or a job. If you can't learn to be still, let me just tell you this, you should keep a fire extinguisher around you because you're going to need to put something out. It will eventually happen. Here's the amazing thing though. When worry, stress, and whatever other afflictions gather in our minds and we learn to be still, that's when the rest of Psalm 4610 becomes a reality. You see, our action part, which is hardly an action part at all, what it really is, is an inaction. God's not inviting us to activate. He's telling us to stop, to be still, to rest. The NASB says, cease from striving and know that I am God. Stop what you're doing, be still, and know that I am God. And then what does it say? I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. It's when we learn the pause. It's when we learn that minute. It's when we learn that moment to say, Jesus, i got to stop. I'm going to give everything that concerns me to you right now. That's when the victory begins to come into sight. We used to sing about it a lot more in church. Turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in His wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. See, when we focus, when we're still on Him, something changes in the spiritual atmosphere. We begin to realize the truth. We begin to realize the reality that he will be exalted among the nations, and he will be exalted in all the earth. And we need to still ourselves to see that and to enter that rest. The reason for that is because the turmoil that is spinning all around us right now, what it really boils down to is a world railing against its creator. The scripture says formerly, we were all haters of God. You see, it's the spirit of Antichrist doing in the world exactly what the Bible predicted it would for all of this time. And when you learn to be still, you realize the truth written about in the end of our Bible that says, He wins. When you learn to be still like a dry sponge drawing in water, the act of being still fills your soul with the presence of God and with the truth of who He really is. A truth that says our God has already won. And one day he will be exalted and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, Pastor Travis say that sounds alright? I would like a break from the woes of Facebook and the woes of media and all of the things I see because if I'm being honest it is stressing me out. How? Do we learn to be still on a tilt-a-whirl? Have you ever ridden the tilt-a-whirl at a carnival before? Pastor Amy put her hand up in the first service. She's not going to do it in the second service because I exposed her. <laughs> Let's just say, cream soda and popcorn. You know what I'm talking about. Crazy ride at a fair. It all leaves suddenly, and what a mess. What a mess. I can only imagine. I wasn't, actually, I probably was there somewhere in our childhood. You see, we get worn out and dizzy and spun out by all of this, and we do make a mess. It makes us sick in our soul. So, how do we figure out this? Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted in the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. I know, throw away your phone. Throw it away. Chuck it in the river. Well, if throwing your phone in the river was the solution, we'd probably be doing it already. Because that's how sick a lot of us are of this whole thing. The reality of soul drain is that it's a reality with or without media being an effect in your life. Simply shutting every form of communication off into your, into your brain, your eyes, your ears, your nose, your mouth. Shutting off your senses is not the solution. Just ask drug addicts who try. That's not the solution. That's not being still and allowing the peace of God to refill you and infill you again and again, regenerating and renewing your soul. I have no doubt that life is a little harder for us with a computer in our pocket as many hours as we want to wear pants in a day. I mean, it's there with you. For those of you who don't wear pants, Jade, for instance, wears shorts everywhere he goes. (laughs) I don't always know where he puts his phone because his shorts are sometimes tight, too. (laughs) It's true. You know, it seems like, well, we'll just cancel that and that'll be that. No, it's not how it works. Because virtue is being drained from you by your very existence, and that's the way God wired you. It's the way he made you. How to get off the tilt the whirl, how to be still on a tilt of the world. Do you remember the story of the woman with the issue of blood? You can read about it. Mark chapter 5, verses 25 to 34. Mark 5, 25 to 34. There's a woman who has the issue of bleeding. For 12 years, she's been bleeding, which, of course, if you understand the culture of that day was a major issue. She was unclean. She wasn't allowed to, to associate normal. It's almost like she, she had COVID and had to be on lockdown, but for 12 years. Seriously. And Jesus is walking with his disciples in a crowd, ministering, I don't know, having fun, doing whatever it is Jesus does when he's with people, which I do know what it is. It's, it's have fun. Um, and out of, out of the blue, Jesus, all these people around says, well, who touched me? Who touched me? His disciples, I imagine, indignantly, with a smirk on their face, said, Lord, (laughs) everybody's touching you. What on earth are you talking about? And then I like to imagine Jesus, just as smug, with a smirk on his face, say, like, no duh, but somebody touched me. Because Jesus said, I felt virtue go out of me. If you read that whole story, it's amazing. The woman summons the courage to reach out and touch the hem of Jesus' garment, and she's healed. Jesus finds her by saying, "Who touched me? Who touched me?" Come on, somebody touched me. Who touched me? She finally comes up. I touch you. He says, "Daughter, your faith has made you well now. Go in peace." I really love that story, not because of the healing, But because of this, Jesus, who sustains all things by the power of his word, who the book of John says brought everything that has come into being, into being. Colossians says that all things hold together in him. That Jesus, walking in a crowd of people, said, I was just depleted. I was just drawn down. Someone touched me. I felt the power drain. Can I just point this out to you? If the one who made everything is affected by the needs of people, how on earth is it that you could possibly have the audacity to ever think that you can walk through this world without being depleted? By good things and bad, my wife depletes me word. She depletes me. Thank you, Jesus. And she completes me. Aww. My kids deplete me. This church sucks the flipping life out of me. And it's what I was made for. Isn't it? It's what you were made for. You are a vessel. The soul is a vessel made to hold the presence and the power of God, but it's also designed to be poured out on people around it. And the problem is, is you and I think we can skate through this life sometimes being poured out, having holes busted in the side of our vessel, so we leak everywhere all the time. And somehow we think we don't need to be still and know the infilling the regenerative and the renewing power of God. And our soul begins to shrivel. And we say things like, God abandoned me. God left me. God's not there. I love that her faith took something from Jesus. Because you know what it tells me? It tells me that I am made in his image, and if it depleted him, it's going to deplete me. And I'm encouraged by that because I know I can be filled again. I know I can be restored. I know I can be renewed. And that, my friends, is the adventure. That is the process of life. That is our children growing and growing and growing and crashing and needing to rest. That is your teenager bursting bouquets of hair on chests, mustaches, and armpits, and then needing to sleep for 16 hours a day. Jake has been trying to grow hair on his face since he was three. Ouch! What, son, what's wrong? I think I just grew a whisker. (laughs) Takes energy to grow, doesn't it? It takes something out of us to grow. And why would we think we're going to grow in grace and favor and faith and power and it not cost us virtue? You need to understand that our interactions with people draw us down. They did for Jesus. And that's why Jesus would go and get alone. That's why Jesus would retreat to solitary and wild places. So he could what? So he could be still and commune with God. The physical bodies of human beings get worn down, and so do our souls. So how can we be still on a world that's moving? How can you be still on a tilted world? You can't exactly step off this ride. I don't know how fast we're traveling through space right now, but does somebody here know? Kilometers an hour. Oh my goodness, Tyler, that you'd know that out of the blue with no prompting whatsoever. It's amazing. <laughs> 110, what? 110,000? 110, 110,000 kilometers an hour. We are flying around our sun. And not only that, we're spinning at the same time. I don't know if we're spinning in the right direction or the wrong direction, but the sun comes up in the east and it goes down in the west. You can't get off this rock. You can't get off this ride and be a part of it. So how do we learn to be still? It's actually very simple. It's actually so simple. Not that you have to use it, but I'm going to suggest as a first step you use it. There's an app, and it is called One minute, pause. It's connected to the book that John Eldridge wrote. And you might think it's cheesy. I'm just going to say that's fine if you think it's cheesy. But you need to begin to use it. You need to begin to start somewhere with being still and knowing that he is God. Because if you don't, you're going to crash, you're going to burn. We will need to come and spray you with a fire hose, put your marriage back together whatever it is, help you get through. And we're willing to do that. It's just, it hurts to watch people hurt. So I say this for your benefit. I say this for the hope that you can avoid mistakes that I've made. Be still and know that I am God. This app called the One Minute Pause, you can get it, you can use it. Once again, we'll post a link with our social media pages with church. We need to come back to the process or the the practice, I should say, of meditation. And I know meditation, for lots of church people in like the 90s, took a bad rap because of Shirley MacLaine and the, what we called uh, the New Age Movement. But I want you to know that meditation is something that has been practiced by lovers of God for millennia. The monastic monks that were spreading the church, spreading the gospel across Europe and the entire world, practiced meditation on Scripture. Jesus practiced meditation. That's how he knew the Word of God. Jesus didn't cheat and use his divinity card to get Bible into him, just so you know. King David meditated on the law of God. And you and I need to understand that as a practice of communion with our maker so this one minute app one minute pause sorry you get it and I want to go through it with you today this is how we're going to actually close the service today and the reason why I suggest to you that that you do it this way I mean you can you can start with a minute on your own and have silence you could have worship I suppose you could you could do almost anything in that moment that will connect you to our creator but you can't do anything that distracts you from him because you need to be still and know that he is God and that he will be exalted in the nations and that he will be exalted in the earth in other words in the process of his perfect will and perfect time all things will be made right all things until then we need to be still and know that he's God I love this particular app because John Eldridge leads a very simple, very short prayer. And the basic idea of the one minute pause is that you take that, especially in moments where you feel stress or strain or anxiety come on, and you quiet yourself in the presence of the Lord. You invite His presence. And we say things like, Jesus, I'm going to give everything that concerns me to you. And I want to tell you what will happen. All the things that concern you will try to jump right into your head. And so then we discipline ourselves. No, no, Jesus. Everything that concerns me, I choose to give it to you. the first five or six times you do this, you might not feel like you're winning, but something amazing happens when you practice. You'll begin to notice that you actually start to turn things over to Jesus. As we close the service today, I want to pray for you. I want you to know that if you'd like prayer one-on-one today, as always, you are welcome to come to the front. We'd love to pray with you. But we're not going to do a comeback song today. We're not going to offer that kind of moment of reflection and response. This is your moment of response this morning, is to take part with me for one minute and surrender everything to Jesus. I can't tell you how many times... This kind of discipline has brought me through moments where my physical body literally was trembling with frustration, fear, anxiety, depression. Been there. So have many people in this room. Jesus, I'm so thankful that you identify with every weakness that we have. And Lord, I find a great deal of faith in that for me and for each person in this room and each person gathering with us online. That you identify with our weakness. You know what it's like to be depleted, to be poured out, to be emptied. And that you have given us a great friend in the Holy Spirit who is there to teach us about you and to fill us again with all the grace we could ever need for the things that are coming toward us. And so, Lord, today I ask that you would do a new work in our heart. That we would sense the importance that you feel for us to draw near to you. And to be stilled and quieted and to stop striving for those moments so that you can have your way in our life. Lord, I pray for each one watching and attending this morning to have the courage to follow through. Holy Spirit, we always ask you what we should do with what we've heard today. And God, I pray that you would instill it on us and that you would, God, that you would even harass us with it so that we can learn to be in communion with you more than we ever thought possible. Ask it all in your name, Jesus. Amen. This is the one-minute pause. Let's do this together.
1: Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. I give everyone and everything to you, God. I give myself to you, Jesus, for union with you. I am created for union with you, God. I give everything in me for union with you, Lord.
0: twice a day for this entire week and if you don't experience something break and something change in your life, I would be happy to buy you lunch and talk about why.
1: Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca